السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا ستر علما باب اسباغ الوضوء performing wudu thoroughly performing wudu perfectly the word isbagh is from subugh and subugh means to be long to be wide it is when something is abundant and when something is complete in the quran we learn about isbagh an-ni'mah that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says wa asbagha alaykum that allah has perfected upon you bestowed amply on you his many blessings we learn about this in surah luqman so isbagh al-wudu it is to perform the wudu thoroughly it is to perform the wudu properly to perform it perfectly so that nothing at all is left out as you know that in wudu there are some things that are fard that are wajib and there are other things that are sunnah for example washing the hands the arms the feet the wiping of the head all of this is obligatory but when it comes to rinsing the mouth and when it comes to you know cleaning the nose as well as washing the body parts three times this is sunnah likewise there are some things that perfect the wudu like for example if a person says bismillah before performing the wudu that is a means of perfection of wudu so isbaghul wudu is to perform wudu in the best possible way it is to perform the wudu in the best possible way and this is not contradictory to what was mentioned previously of uh, takhfif in wudu as you know that takhfif al wudu is to perform wudu lightly to perform the basics the obligatory but beyond that a person does not do so that's also acceptable and this is isbagh perfecting it doing it in the best possible way and the fact is that a person should know both ways because circumstances don't remain the same always so we should know about both of them so that whatever is possible for us we can do that وَقَالَ and he said who said ibn umar ibn umar meaning abdullah ibn umar he said isbagh al-wudu'i the isbagh of wudu is al-inqa cleanliness to perfectly clean inqa is from noon qafiya and naqiyah is that which is very clean very pure we learned about earth that is naqiyah a piece of land that is naqiyah so isbagh al-wudu is al-inqa meaning it is to wash and clean thoroughly that a person is not just washing the body parts to fulfill the obligation of wudu but he is washing and perfectly cleaning to also clean himself to rid himself of all filth that could possibly on the skin or even on the body in the form of sins so isbagh al wudu is al inqa haddathana abdullah ibn maslama an malik an musa ibn uqbata an kurayb And Kurayb, who was he? Mawla ibn Abbas. He was a freed slave of ibn Abbas radhiallahu anhu. An Usamata ibn Zaydin, Usama ibn Zayd, and he's also a companion of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So look at the chain. You have two companions over here. Annahu sami'a, annahu sami'ahu, that indeed he heard him. Yaqulu, he was saying that, who was saying? Usama ibn Zayd, he was saying that, Yaqulu, that dafa'a Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam min arafata. Dafa is to push, it is to drive, to move on, to urge. So the Prophet ﷺ on his journey, he kept moving. 
دَفَعَ Meaning he kept going on. He urged the people to continue traveling. مِنْ عَرَفَةَ And this was obviously at Hajj. So they traveled from Arafa حَتَّى until إِذَا كَانَ When he was بِالشَّعْبِ At الشَّعْب Sharb is used for a mountain pass. Okay, a pass that is from between mountains, a gorge, a ravine. So you may have heard of the Sharb of Abu Talib. Okay, that is where the Muslims in Mecca as well as the Banu Hashim, they took refuge when there was a complete social boycott against them. So it was in a ravine. It was between mountains that they had taken shelter. So, إِذَا كَانَ بِالشَّعْبِ نَزَلَ He descended. The Prophet ﷺ, he descended his mount and then فَبَالَ And then he urinated. ثُمَّ then تَوَضَّأَ He performed wudu. وَلَمْ And did not يُسْبِغِ wudu. He did not perform the wudu perfectly. Meaning he performed wudu that was very light. Just sufficient, barely sufficient. Meaning just the bare minimum. That is what he did. فَقُلْتُ So I said, الصَّلَاةِ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Prayer, O Messenger of Allah وسلم, Because it was a time of Maghrib. It was time of Maghrib, the Prophet ﷺ did wudu. So, you know, they said, okay, salah. Faqala, so the Prophet ﷺ said, as-salah, the prayer, it is amamak, in front of you, meaning we are going to perform salah when we get to our next destination. Yeah, when we're going to get to our next destination. And what is that destination after Arafah? What is it? Muzdalifa. And you know that at Arafah, the hujjad are required to stay until the time of Maghrib and then right at that time leave and then go where? To Muzdalifa. And at Muzdalifa, what do we do? We pray Salatul Maghrib and Isha. So he said, As-salatu amamak. Then Farakiba, and then he embarked on his ride. Falamma, then when Ja'a al-Muzdalifata, when he came to Muzdalifa, over there, Nazala, he descended, Fatawadda, and then he performed wudu. And how did he perform wudu? فَأَسْبَغَ wudu. Then he perfectly, thoroughly performed wudu in the best possible way. And then, ثُمَّ أُقِيمَةُ الصَّلَاةِ Then salah was established. فَصَلَّ المغرب, And then he prayed maghrib. ثُمَّ then أَنَاخَ Inakha is to make one's camel kneel down. So, كُلُّ insan, Every person, he made his camel kneel down. بَعِرَهُ His camel Where? فِي manzilihi In its destination Meaning wherever people were camping Wherever they were going to stay That is where they Made their camels kneel And then after that ثُمَّ then أُقِيمَةِ isha, And then Isha was established Meaning they prayed Isha فَصَلَّى Then he prayed وَلَمْ يُصَلِّ بَيْنَهُمَا And he did not pray between them two Between what two? Between Maghrib and Isha Meaning there were no voluntary prayers That he prayed between the two what do we see in this hadith? That the Prophet ﷺ, on the same journey, once he performed wudu, that was very light. And another time he performed wudu, and that was very thorough, perfect. What does it show? That in some situations, you can do light wudu, and in other situations, you can do perfect, complete wudu. You have the option. It doesn't mean that if a person is performing the bare minimum wudu, he's doing something wrong. No, he's not doing anything wrong. Even that is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So depending on your situation, depending on your circumstances, whatever is possible for you, you should do that. And this shows us another lesson, that it's not necessary that you do wudu only for salah. We learned that wudu is a condition for salah only. Not for you know the recitation of the Qur'an or other acts of worship, it's a condition for salah. However, it doesn't mean you cannot do wudu otherwise. You can do wudu otherwise as well. And we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he performed wudu. Although he did not pray at that time. And there could be various reasons behind that. One could be that perhaps he liked to be in the state of tahara. 
and the other could be that perhaps he wanted to pray some voluntary prayers on his journey to to Muzdalifa because we know that it was his habit that he would also pray when he was traveling so whatever reason it was we see that he performed wudu and he didn't pray you know the fard salah at that time so we can also do the same thing it's possible that if you want to just stay in the state of tahara you don't have to pray at that time but you want to be clean you want to have wudu so you just do the bare minimum wudu but when you are actually going to pray then what kind of wudu you perform isbaghul wudu uh, it doesn't say in the hadith that did he break wudu in between allahu alam but we do know that it was the habit of the righteous people that they would perform wudu when they had wudu meaning wudu on wudu you understand that not necessarily only if your wudu has broken then you perform wudu like for example you performed wudu at the time of salatul zuhur and then you have your wudu all the way until salatul asr you don't have to technically do wudu but if you do it there's no harm in fact it is beneficial because you're you're washing away more sins and inshallah it will be a source of more radiance for you on the day of judgment that we see that a companion is telling the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam prayer shall we pray and the thing is that any person no matter who he or she is no matter what their status is no matter how knowledgeable they are every person there's no harm in reminding them of prayer because we feel offended you know who are my kids to tell me who is this young sibling of mine to tell me who is this student of mine to tell me do i not know better you may but there's no harm in reminder so for example you are sick and you feel that if you wash the parts of your body three times you know then you're already feeling cold you're already feeling very weak so if you do very light wudu there's no harm likewise you feel there isn't enough time you were stuck in traffic and by the time you come home you feel that your salah will be very late so you quickly do wudu the bare minimum and then you perform salah with that that's also fine you have the option so light wudu inshallah we will learn more as well that first of all using very little water using very little water because we see in the hadith that we learned earlier that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam performed wudu from a water skin and that has limited amount of water right so first of all using very little water secondly washing the body parts only once as opposed to twice or thrice so these are the two main things and thirdly that only performing the obligations so for example washing rinsing the mouth and nose you don't have the time to do that you are unable to do it so you do the bare minimum which is of washing in the face the hands the arms the feet and the masr because it's not mentioned in the quran right so that's a sunnah and it's better if you do it but if circumstances don't allow you then there's no harm like for example they pour water on your feet or they pour water on your arms yeah that's fine somebody can help you with that as well bab ghusl alwajhi washing the face this is ghusl okay ghusl is also wash but this is ghusl and ghusl is you know washing the whole body taking a shower in other words but this is just washing so ghusl alwajhi washing the face bil yadayni with both hands how min ghurfatin from a handful of water wahida single meaning you scoop you know only a handful of water in your one hand and then you join your other hand with that first and then you wash your face with that so in other words you are using very little water very little water in order to wash yourself so this shows to us that it is not necessary to use a lot of water to perform wudu to perform wudu perfectly one can use even a handful of water to wash with that as well and this also shows to us that you know from one handful of water how many times can you wash your face only once so it is enough to wash once and as you know that washing two or three times this is what sunnah حدثنا محمد بن عبد الرحيم قال اخبرنا ابو سلمة الخزاعي منصور بن سلمة قال اخبرنا ابن بلال 
یعنی سلیمان عن زید ابن اسلم عن عطا ابن یسار عن ابن عباس انه در انڈیڈ ہی ہو ابن عباس ہی توضع ہی پرفارمڈ وضو اینڈ دین ہاؤ ڈو ڈی پرفارم وضو فغسل وجهه سو ہی واشڈ ہز فیس ثم دین اخذ غرفتا من ماء دین اخذ ہی ٹک غرفتا ا ہینڈ فل من ماء اف واٹر فمضمض بها فمضمض ہی rinsed his mouth biha with it wastanshaqa and he also cleaned his nose with that same handful of water so he took water in the scoop of his right palm and with that same water some of it he used to rinse his mouth and some of it he used to clean his nose okay so the same handful of water one part of it in the mouth and part of it for the nose famadda biha wastanshaqa Then he took غرفتن مما Then he took a handful of water Another handful of water فجعل Then he placed بها with it هكذا like this In the same way أضافها He joined it إلى يده الأخرى To his other hand So he took some more water in his right hand And then he joined his left hand with the right hand So that the water that was in his right hand Was now also in his left hand What do we do generally? We put both our hands under the tap. And when the water is overflowing, then we start washing ourselves. But he took a handful of water, joined the other hand with it, and then both of them together, فَغَسَلَ Then he washed بِهِمَا With both of them, وَجْهَهُ His face. ثُمَّ Then أَخَذَ He took غَرْفَةً Another scoop, another handful, مِمَّا Of water, فَغَسَلَ And then he washed بِهَا With it, يَدَهُ His hand, الْيُمْنَ The right. And over here, يَد does not just mean hand, but all the way up to the elbow, the arm. So he took the water, and then as if he you know bent his hand forward, so that the water washed, it dripped down his arm. ثُمَّ أَخَذَ غَرْفَةً مِمَّا Then he took another handful of water. فَغَسَلَ بِهَا يَدَهُ الْيُسْرَى And then he washed with it the left hand, the left arm. And then ثُمَّ مَسَحَ بِرَأْسِهِ And then he wiped his head. ثُمَّ أَخَذَ Then he took غَرْفَةً Another handful مِمَّا of water. And then فَرَشَّ فَذَنْ رَشَّ رَشَّ is to sprinkle, to spatter, to splash. So he sprinkled that water where ala rijlihi upon his foot which foot al yumna the right one hatta until ghasalaha he washed all of it Now just imagine one handful of water and he used it to wash his entire foot You're like how is that possible you can barely get your foot to be wet it is possible since the past few days I've been actually trying since I studied this hadith that I use only one handful of water to do everything and believe me it's possible It's very much possible. Because you see, he took that handful of water and he sprinkled it on his foot. So for example, very little bit on the ankle, a little bit in the middle, a little bit on the toes. So the water did drop and it, you know, it streamed off, okay, of the foot. So the ghasl was done. The washing was done. ثُمَّ أَخَذَ غَرْفَةً أُخْرَى Then he took another handful of water. فَغَسَلَ بِهَا رِجْلَهُ And then he washed his foot. يَعْنِي الْيُسْرَى Meaning the left one. ثُمَّ قَالَ And then he said, هَكَذَا Just like this. رَأَيْتُ I saw رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ The Messenger of Allah صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَتَوَضَّ He was performing wudu. I saw the Messenger of Allah performing the wudu in the same way. What do we see here? That in just a few handful of water, Ibn Abbas رضي الله عنه, he performed the entire wudu. He didn't use a bucket. The water was not running from the tap for like five minutes or three minutes even. Literally six or seven maximum handfuls of water he used to. 
perform the entire wudu. So this shows that Ibn Abbas radhiallahu anhu he generally performed a very light ablution. He generally performed wudu that was very khafif, meaning he would use very little water. That when he would be done, only a few sprinkles of water would be seen on his body. That it would dry up very quickly. And this is very different from the way people perform wudu today. As if they are swimming or bathing in water or as if, you know, a tap has exploded in the washroom. So that not just the sink, but the mirror and the counter and the floor and the wall and everything is wet, splashed with water. You know, it just shows how much water we use. You know, as long as you're wet, meaning you're not fully done, your wudu has not fully dried. If you catch that part and then you can make it wet or you can pour water over it, a little bit of it. So we see that he used very, very little water to perform wudu. And it shows that it's always better to be conservative in the use of water, even when a person is using it for ibadah. You know, think about it. For other than ibadah, is it worth it that we use more water? No. If for ibadah we don't use that much water, then other than that, what is lesser than that does not deserve as much water. Right? And we learn that even if a person is at the edge of a river, how much water should he use? Only as much as is necessary. So even though there may be a spring flowing from your tap, still use only as much as is necessary. You were having repairs in the house and uh, they were changing the uh, the boiler or whatever. So we were out of water, hot water, plus water for almost two and a half days to three days. And I was surprised at my own ability to do wudu with the same way. Unfortunately, I didn't know it at then that you could do that. But very guilty and I had just a, a mug, you know, a tea mug of water. We warmed up one kettle because there were a lot of people in the house so everybody had to use it and you couldn't really keep on warming the kettle because you wanted to pray. So I just warmed it up and this much water I did wudu in. I was surprised. And after that, I kept that mug on my sink for a very long time because I was so appreciative of how much water I can use and still be have do wudu and, and do whatever. And you don't know how thankful we were when everything went back to normal. Yes. So it is really possible. Also, like I read somewhere that if... We keep on using the water at the, the rate we do. Our generations to come will not have water or just barely enough to drink. So that horrifies me a lot. That when you have very little water to use, then you become more careful, more conscious, more alert. You're mentally more engaged in that act as opposed to just using a lot of water, you know, just spilling it here, spilling it there. Our mind is somewhere else and at the same time we're doing wudu. Let me explain this hadith a little bit more. It seems that if he used only a little bit of water, then he would be able to just barely make the skin wet. And we know that when it comes to certain parts of body in wudu, they have to be washed. Only the head has to be wiped. The rest of the body parts have to be washed. And there's a difference between ghusl and mas'h. There's a difference. Mas'h is to wet your hand and then pass your wet hand over the skin or over the head and then make that place wet in that manner. So for example, when you're doing mas'h of the head, you wet your hand, and then your wet hand, you straighten it up, and then you just pass it over your head. But we see over here that he did ghusl, he washed. Ghusl is to pour water, no matter how little it is, to pour, so that it streams off. 
So even if you take a handful of water and you bend your hand slightly inwards onto your arm, the water will actually flow down your arm. It will reach your elbow. Okay? It will actually do that. And then whatever parts do remain dry, then you kind of take the water and then you pass it over. Just like with, you know, a wiper or something like that, when you make water move, you know, from one place to the other, you can do that. So likewise with your hand also, you can do the same thing. Move your hands and take the water along. Don't wipe your hand, but take the water along. How much ever you can do. But in the hadith, we see that he washed the body parts only once, not three times. You know what? It happens sometimes. You go somewhere and the water flows continuously because the taps are automatic. Be a little quick. Be a little quick. You know the upstairs washrooms? Alhamdulillah, many times I'm able to wash my arms by the time that it stops the first time. You know, be a little quick. Use less water and, and be quick to make yourself, you wash, you clean, your, you wash yourself properly. And then within twice that you're done. Exactly. Pull up your sleeves beforehand, take off your hijab, you know, everything you're ready fully. Inshallah, you can do, you will do quickly then. You know, we should really take fresh water as a blessing and we should use it very carefully just because it's flowing from your tap very easily and we don't have to pay much money for it. It doesn't mean that we become careless because accessing fresh water, making it available in your houses, you know, it requires a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of money. So, okay, our money has not been used, other people's money has been used, but still. When people are not grateful for the blessings and they're taken away. Some people don't even have enough water to drink. Literally, they don't. And we're, you know, wasting away the water. And there's no harm in taking water from a cup to rinse your mouth. There's no harm. Because, you know, back then people would use water that was, you know, in, in vessels, in containers. One more thing I've noticed a lot is that you go to any masjid, you know, even over here. At the time of salah, you will see the washrooms wet. Okay, the counters wet. Why is that so? Because people use a lot of water when they're doing wudu. If you're using very little water, then you know what's going to happen? All the water, you're actually going to use it. You're not going to spill because there's nothing to spill. All the water that you're using is actually going onto your skin. And the little that is falling off, you know, that's very easy to wipe. That's very easy to clean up. But generally you will see that the sinks, you know, the counters, the floor, the mirrors, everything is wet. Why? Because we tend to use too much water. So we have to become careful in this. And this will be a means of, you know, keeping our places clean as well. Yes, but think about it. If every single one of us over here, if we start using less water for wudu, you know, just enough, we start using water carefully, then how much effect can we make, inshallah? So we have to become careful. Every drop matters. If your tap is ever leaking and only, you know, a drop of water is coming out every few seconds, then if you ever keep a, a container under it, after a few hours you will see that it's full. So every single drop matters. So we should inshallah try to be more and more careful with every wudu that we perform. When the water came back, I opened the tap and started to make wudu normally the way we we are used to doing it. And you wouldn't believe two of the bowls got filled up. And I was so alarmed. So how much water was I using? Very true. Also also when when we, we do that, that all of us are careful in our wudu and using less water, I think it will also help repair our impression on other people that we don't leave the rooms messy, bathrooms messy. And then, you know, sometimes we think, oh, it's not possible for us to do it. I've always done it this way. I've always used so much water. How can I become careful like this? You can do it. And such difficult situations that teach you that you can actually do better than you think. In like, for example, in the summer, you'll never think of fasting. But when Ramadan comes in the summer, you can fast, right? 
you are able to do that. Otherwise, it seems impossible. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees, you know, kawni and shari things on us, they really show us what our real capacity is, what we are capable of doing. So it's just about deciding that now I am going to do this, or I'm not going to do this. But at-tasmiyati, at-tasmiyah, meaning mentioning the name of Allah, saying the name of Allah, ala upon kulli halin, every state, every situation. Meaning, in every state, before doing anything, a person should say the name of Allah, وَعِنْدَ الْوِقَارِ And even at the time of intercourse. Meaning, even before going to, before having sexual relations, at the time, at that time as well, a person is to say the name of Allah, Bismillah. What does it show? Why is Imam Bukhari mentioning this over here? To show that saying Bismillah before performing wudu is something that is, is something that's very beneficial. And there is a difference of opinion concerning between the scholars concerning saying Bismillah before wudu. Some scholars say that it is mandatory to mention the name of Allah before performing wudu. And if a person does not say Bismillah before wudu, then his wudu is invalid. It's incomplete. So they say that it is shalt, it is a condition for the siha, for the correctness, for the correctness of wudu, for the wudu being valid. And other scholars say that, no, it's not a condition, it's not a shart for the siha, but rather it is a shart for the kamal, the perfection of wudu. So Imam Bukhari is proving over here that it's recommended that a person says Bismillah before doing anything that is necessary, before doing anything that is important, before we eat, we say Bismillah. And we see this in the way of the Prophet wasallam as well, that you know, beginning every important action with the name of Allah. And if you think about it, the chapter heading, وَعِنْدَ الْوِقَارِ That if a person is to say Bismillah before intercourse, then you think it's not necessary to say Bismillah before other things? I mean, that is something that's so private. That's something that's so private, but even for that. So for other things, it is all the more necessary to do that. حَدَّثَنَا عَلِيُّ بْنُ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا جَرِيرٌ عَنْ مَنْصُورٍ عَنْ سَالِمْ بِبْنِ أَبِي الْجَعْدِ عَنْ كُرَيْبٍ عَنْ ابْنِ عباس Yabulubihi, he conveyed with it, meaning this is what he used to convey, who? Ibn Abbas, from who? An-Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that qala, he said, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Law anna ahadakum, if indeed one of you, ida when ata, he comes, he approaches ahlahu, his wife, meaning to establish relations with her, qala, if he says, Bismillahi, in the name of Allah, Allahumma, O oh Allah, jannibna shaytan. Jannibna, jamb. What does jamb mean? The side of a person, right? So jannaba, you jannibu, tajnib is to keep away, to avert, to ward off, to protect. So protect us, keep away from us, avert from us. Who? A shaytan. What jannib is shaytan and keep shaytan away from us. Keep us away from shaytan and keep shaytan away from us. Ma? With regards to that which razaqatana you provide us. Meaning don't let shaitan have any share in what you provide us. In other words, our child, if we do conceive. So if a person says that, فَقُضِيَ بَيْنَهُمَا وَلَدٌ And if a child is decreed for them to, لَمْ يَضُرَّهُ Shaitan cannot harm that child. Shaitan cannot harm that child. Now, what do we see in this hadith? That even at the time of Wiqar or intercourse, a person should say the name of Allah. Why? To expel shaitan from that. Do not let shaitan have any share in that. In that act and the result of that act as well. And if you see over here, لَمْ يَضُرَّهُ Shaitan cannot harm that child. What kind of harm? 
this is understood in the general sense that shaitan cannot harm the child in the hissi way as well as in the ma'nawi way. Meaning he cannot physically harm the child and he cannot harm the child in any other way either. Physical harm. What's the physical harm that shaitan can have, can, can affect a human being with? What is that? Yes? Okay, so for example, you know, the possession and sometimes there are some diseases, some, some ailments even that people cannot figure out at all and it's the result of shayateen harming a person. For example, a part of a body, it aches, it hurts, it swells up. You know, there's they cannot figure out what the problem is, what the reason is. And many times it's the result of the shayateen harming a person. Physically harming a person. Likewise, you see that istihaba. Even that is the result of shaitan, jinn harming a woman. Right? So shaitan can actually physically harm a person. And we know that when a child is born, what does shaitan do? He goes and hits the child. Imagine. A little child just born. Look at the hate that shaitan has for every single human being that as soon as a child comes into this world, he goes and hits him. Just imagine. So if a couple have said Bismillah before the child was conceived, then inshallah shaitan cannot harm the child. Even if he does hit or poke the child, he cannot harm him. And then in the intangible sense, like for example, psychologically, mentally, emotionally, Harming a person, you know, it happens sometimes that because of the waswas, a constant waswas of shaitan, you know, a person cannot think straight, a person cannot do anything, he starts doubting everything that he does, you know, it causes strife between husband and wife, relationships are ruined, right, because of the waswas of shaitan. So if a couple says bismillah before the child is conceived, then shaitan cannot interfere at all. Now if a person asks that, for instance, there is a couple, and they always say this, and let's say they have a child, but still, that child is, you know, harmed by shaitan, is affected by shaitan. So what's the answer to that? It's a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Harm does not reach someone unless if Allah wills. The harm could have been much more to bring a person closer to Allah. You're telling me the reasons behind why a person is tested. Right? I'm asking you, how come the dua didn't work? The first reason is that always note that duas work. Okay, saying that how come the dua didn't work, this is wrong. We never ever have any doubt concerning any khabr that Allah and His Messenger have given. Khabr meaning a fact that Allah and His Messenger have told us. So for example, this statement is what? It's a fact, it's a khabr. That if you do this, then such and such will happen or such and such will not happen. So we can never ever have any doubt concerning this. This is haq, this is sidq. We should not doubt concerning this. Another thing that we must remember is that it could be the result of qusur fi sabab, meaning falling short in adopting the means. To protect the child from shaitan, what are the means that a person has to adopt? What is mentioned in the hadith, saying bismillah. But a person could have fallen short in adopting those means, in, in doing that act. So for example, a person says it in his heart, but he has doubt in his heart. A person says it, but he doesn't mean it. Okay, so he says it with lack of yaqeen, lack of conviction. So as a result of that, you know, the child may be harmed. And the third reason is because of the presence of something that is manir, something that prevents from this statement to have an effect, from this dua to have an effect. Like for example, something is already decreed. I mean, Allah decided from before that this child who will be born will 
have such and such, you know, will be affected by shaitan in this and this way. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can decree anything. And we know that, yes, sometimes decree is changed because of dua, but not always, right? Decree can be changed by dua, but not always. It's up to Allah at the end of the day to decide. And for your dua, you will get your reward, inshallah. And also remember that there's some things that prevent du'as from being accepted. So for example, if a person has been consuming haram, then the du'a will not be accepted for some time. So these are the reasons why, you know, the du'a was not accepted apparently. But lam yadurrahu, shaitan cannot harm him. Shaitan affects everybody in some way or the other. However, some people shaitan affects them more to the point of harming them. To the point of damaging them. Their life, their relationships, their physical health, everything is affected. Now, one more important thing that we should remember with regards to this hadith is that what if a person doesn't intend to have children at the moment? Then even at that time should a person say, yes. Because even if a person does not intend to have children, still Allah could grant the couple children. So, because it's every time, every single time that a man approaches the wife, they should say this dua, both of them. Uh, one more thing that we see, this is the result, this is the benefit of saying what? Bismillah. This is the result of mentioning the name of Allah. The name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not like any other name. Ismul Jalala. Ismul Jalala, the name of Allah, is not like any other name. Its benefit, its blessing is far greater you can't compare any other name with the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's no comparison whatsoever. And we learn in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Tabaraka smu rabbika til jalali wal ikram. Tabaraka. Tabaraka smu rabbika. The name of your Lord is blessed. If the name of Allah is pronounced before slaughtering an animal, only then that animal will be halal for consumption. If the name of Allah is mentioned before eating, only then shaitan cannot interfere in your eating. If the name of Allah is mentioned before performing anything that's important, that's necessary, only then will Allah's nasr, his ta'yid, his tawfiq will be there. And if a person does not mention the name of Allah, then he's left on his own. He is left on his own to do what he has to do. And as a result, whatever he does will not have the same effect. It will be maqtur. It will be cut off. It will not have any blessing in it. I remember I was attending a lecture and the shaykh was talking about the importance of saying bismillah. And so the sheikh kind of went on a tangent and he was giving us examples. So this sheikh has knowledge of, um, of jinns and of uh, reading the Qur'an on people. And so there was a time that he experienced that there was a young child and there was a jinn in him. And, you know, he spoke to the, to the jinn and he asked him, why are you in this child? And he said, there is times and there is, there is times I am not in him. And he said, whenever this child remembers to say bismillah before he eats, I don't go, come near him. This is very clear. That the name of Allah is a source of protection against shaitan, is a source of blessing, is a source of tawfiq, is a source of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's help and his assistance for the work that you are about to do. You know, if you think about it, the wahi, when it was first revealed in the Prophet ﷺ, how did it begin? Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. Read with the name of your Lord. The first lesson Mention the name of Allah before you do anything. Seek help from Him, seek blessing from Him. Because there is nothing, nothing in this world that we can accomplish except with the tawfiq of Allah. And if alhamdulillah today we have come this far, for many of you the journey of almost two years 
you know, studying the Quran, studying the hadith, going through difficulties of life, going through illness and sickness and children and family situations and travel and guests and, you know, every possible situation that a person could have gone through. Two years is a long time. And if despite that, alhamdulillah, if we have come this far, this is by the blessing of Allah. So there's nothing at all that a person can accomplish without the help of Allah. This is why I mention the name of Allah before you do anything. And when you're doing it, even then, because if you read on, اقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق, and then we learn, اقرأ, read again, وربك الأكرم. So keep reading, keep doing this. And you will accomplish and you will continue with the blessing of Allah, with the help of Allah. Definitely in the Quran we see that ilah is used for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala many times. However, Allah, you know, that's the name of Allah. That's the name that He has in that He has informed us of. So definitely we should use Allah, the name of Allah, when we're referring to Him, when we're talking about Him, when we're asking His help, when we're, you know, hoping for something from Him. It's not a long dua or difficult to pronounce or anything. So I think that there's yusr in deen yes. from beginning to end. Yes. Very true. All you have to do is bismillah. Yes. And it's so easy to say. And because of that, the work becomes so easy as well. And I've experienced many times that I'm doing something and I'm, you know, I'm finding it difficult, even if it's something as putting something in a bag or taking something out of something, literally. And the moment I say bismillah, I'm able to do it. The other day my son, he was trying to put something back into a shelf and it was kind of heavy. And he was trying, he's like, it's falling, it's falling. I said, say Bismillah. He said Bismillah. And Alhamdulillah, he was able to do it. So I taught him that, you know, whenever you're doing something, say Bismillah. Underestimate the power of Bismillah. I have something, a personal incident to share. Uh, We had a kitchen fire. And it was a big fire. And the flames were quite high. And I was alone with the kids. The kids were small. And the fire trucks came in. And they said to me, lady, how did you put this off? You must have some power in your lungs. And I remember, I asked my son, because I was not in a state of mind. When you see those flames, you don't even remember what you said. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking my son when he was 13 then, I said, because he was standing right there, I said, do you remember what I said? And he said, all you said, kept saying was, bismillah, 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 bismillah. Mm -hmm. And subhanAllah, you know, sometimes we underestimate it because at that time I couldn't think of anything. Maybe I was choking, I was hyperventilating myself, not knowing what to do. I was alone and uh, it was in the middle of the night actually. And uh, it was a lighter that had triggered it off, like a, an ignition lighter for lighting a gas stove. And um, so, yeah, I had kept it beside wooden spoons and it caught fire because from the spark that was left after turning it on. So that's what had happened. And sometimes we underestimate the power of Bismillah. And the thing is that saying Bismillah also calms you down. You know, you relax at that time as well. And it really makes you realize Allah can do this. Allah can, you know, eliminate this. Allah will help me. So it calms you down. It gives you confidence. And there's also the help of Allah. You were talking about like having pain in the body and stuff like that, right? I went to this um, psychiatrist and like I just sort of was working with him trying to find out, you know, a way to like heal some of the pain in my body. And like it would come up, like I was explaining to him, he's like, what could it be? What could it be? And like he was, he was like so annoyed by the end because he was like, I can't have it. I don't find any answers for you. I don't know what to do with you. And so he gave me a couple pills and then he told me to take them. And two weeks later I came back and he's like, I found the answer. And he actually knows Rukia as well. 
And so he came behind me and he started, like, he just told me to read Bismillah and he, like, read some stuff. And within, like, 20 minutes, the pain in my shoulders, like, disappeared. It completely disappeared. I don't know, like, I'm not sure what it was. And it was probably, like, you know, combined treatment or whatever. But he explained to me later that, you know, the power, even if you don't understand it, the power of Allah and the healing from Allah is there and its shifa is there in his. Yes, yes. And if you also look at the hadith in which we learn about uh, the dua that a person should read when he's ailing, he's hurting somewhere, let's say Bismillah three times. And then say, أَعُوذُ بِعِزَّةِ اللَّهِ وَقُدْرَتِهِ مِنْ شَرِّ مَا أَجِدُ So saying the name of Allah first three times. So with the blessing of Allah, we started this course long time ago with the name of Allah, with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And now, alhamdulillah, with the help of Allah, we've come this far. And, you know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to keep, you know, taking His name and mentioning it and, you know, continue in this journey and may this journey never end until our last breath. One thing I'd like to share with you at the end of the class is I read a quote somewhere and it really hit me. And I want that it hits you as well and it changes you and it changes the way you view yourself and changes the way you view other people. It's a very humbling quote. That أَكْثَرُ النَّاسِ خَطَايَا أَكْثَرُهُمْ ذِكْرًا لِخَطَايَا النَّاسِ The people with most sins will be those who count the sins of other people the most. We don't want to come on the Day of Judgment with our records full of statements concerning other people, counting their mistakes, counting their faults, looking down on them, thinking of ourselves to be very great. Just because we've studied the Qur'an, just because we've studied the Hadith, the more we learn, the more our eyes should focus on ourselves. And this knowledge is a gift of Allah. It's a fadl of Allah. Something that we shouldn't be proud about and look down on other people with, but it should make us observe ourselves, analyze ourselves in times of, you know, when we're alone, times when we are perhaps the one who knows most amongst other people, that we stay humble. We remember ourselves, our faults, our mistakes, and not the mistakes of other people. Shall we conclude over here? Subhanakallahum wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa